about tonight, turn to the book of Jude. Jude has one chapter, 25 verses in it. I want to focus our attention on Jude 3. Jude 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, everyone say earnestly, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For a few moments tonight, I want to teach us from launching from this passage of scripture on the importance of sound doctrine, which is doctrine is just another word for teaching. Doctrine that is mentioned in the scripture. Uh, we'll read some of those passages that talk about sound doctrine. It's talking about teaching, sound teaching. And it is something, according to Jude, that should be contended for, the common salvation. I'm thankful for God's goodness to us and his word, and we want to be anchored and established here tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the establishment of your word. We pray that you would bring truth to us from your scripture. We give to you thanks, and we magnify you, and we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. you. can be seated. Christian truth and teaching passed on from generation to generation is called in Jude as, it's noted as, described as the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Jude said it's something that we should contend for. And so that pretty much is the introduction here uh, tonight <clears throat> is that we should have sound teaching. We live in a world and in a society in which you can kind of make up your own philosophy, um, make up your own truth, if you will. Uh, but everybody at some point has to make a determination as to what is going to be their grounding, what is going to be their truth, what are they going to establish their life upon. It's not a very good life uh, in something that is unsteady, unstable. There has to be some kind of anchor to our soul. And this is what Jude is talking about when he's talking about the handing down of generation to generation of truth, meaning that there was some teaching, there was some doctrine, there were some things that were placed into one generation from another generation. In a postmodern world, this is kind of antithetical because there's so much that wants to tear down the truth narrative or the meta-narrative, the large story, and they want to, by way of their own philosophy, create their own truth claims. And that's fine if that's what you want to do and you want to live your life that way. But for us, in the house of God, for, thus, for us who are apostolics, 
who want our lives to be anchored in something, our truth claims come from the scripture. And so we must spend some time at examining what sound doctrine or sound teaching is. It's something that must come forth from a pulpit. It must be taught not only in a church body, but it also must be taught at home. If you're coming to the house of God with the expectation that the preacher and the ministry and the youth pastor and the Sunday school teacher is going to do all the teaching, you are misinformed because a lot of what takes place that is learned can be done from you as a parent. This is why the Shema was so very, very powerful. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then those Hebrews were told, this is something that you teach in your house when you're sitting down, when you're walking by the way, whatever's when you're lying down, whatever you're doing, you have opportunity to be an influence and to teach another generation of God's goodness and God's greatness. Has God been good to you? If he's been good to you, it's worth testifying and teaching to the next generation. Amen. And Jews said it's worth contending for, contending for the faith, contending for it that was once delivered unto the saints. Jesus spent much time in his ministry to establish the doctrinal points that we get in the book of Acts. The only place that we can see the action of what Jesus teaches is in the book of Acts. And there is a, there's a preponderance of evidence that it was important in that early church that they were established on something. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41 and verse 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. At this point in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 is where there is an infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's where Peter begins to preach. And so the only thing that we know of in chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, that constitutes the apostles' doctrine is what was preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. When he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That was the apostles' doctrine. And here in this place, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. I want to pray together and continue the apostles' doctrine. I want to break. We're real good at breaking bread together. I want to break bread together and continue in the apostles' doctrine. I want to fellowship with you and continue in the apostles' doctrine. And I want the doctrine of the apostles to be something that my life is anchored in, my church is anchored in. I want to be a part of a church that still preaches repentance. You, you've got to walk away from an old habit and an old lifestyle and lay it down and say, God, I'm identifying with your death. You've got to be baptized in a name that is above every name. Why wouldn't you be baptized in the name that's above every name? The only baptismal mode that is that takes place in the book of Acts is baptism in Jesus' name. This is why Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Speak
speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. It is a, an identification with Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is the apostles' doctrine. And in Acts chapter 2, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 27 They brought the apostles before them. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your what? Your doctrine, your teaching. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They're speaking of Jesus. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Chief priests brought them before the council, and they said, you need to stop your doctrine, stop teaching. And the response back from Peter was the doctrine is not our doctrine. This was the doctrine that we received from Jesus himself. Therefore, there's not a whole lot we can do other than preach the doctrine that he gave to us or die because it's not our personal opinions. It's not our personal feelings. It comes from Jesus Christ himself and this is the teaching that we are going to teach. All through the book of Acts, we find a strong emphasis on this word, doctrine. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 12. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Paul, when he ran into those in Athens in chapter 17 and verse number 18, certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, these were groups of philosophy encountered him and said, what will this babbler say? Others said he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, which was a religious body. It was a religious body that believed a lot of different things, saying, may we know what this new doctrine, what is this new doctrine? What is this new teaching whereof you speak is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. What did they want to hear from Paul in front of this religious body? Which is interesting because it is very illustrative of our current uh, uh, cultural context. It was just like that in Athens. They were hearing all kinds of things. And Paul... They were intrigued by what he was teaching. They said, we want you to come and we want to hear what your doctrine is, what your teaching is, what centers you. And Paul, of course, appeared before them and he gave a message about the unknown God and the altar that was erected to the unknown God. And Paul said, the unknown God that you are worshiping here in this altar is the God that I'm going to declare to you. Doctrine is important.
teaching is important. You know what's going to get you through sometimes? It's not going to be your emotions. We're emotional people. I understand that. I recognize that. And God doesn't ask us to be emotionless. We should be able to, to, to release our emotions in our worship, our prayer, our praise. Amen. An altar is a great place to unburden some things. There are some things that you're not going to make it carrying on your own. You can't carry it on your own. A lot of people are going to turn to a lot of different things, coping mechanisms. But I, I want to say to you that if you've got situations in your life and difficulties in your life, even in this very service here tonight, you have had opportunity to say, God, I'm releasing all this stuff, all the junk that's cluttering up my mind, that's going around and around in my head. I'm going to stand before you tonight, lift my hands and worship you, and I'm going to leave it right there and right there and right there and right there. And when I walk away from this place, I'm going to be encouraged in the Holy Ghost because you're a God that understands all of my emotions, and you're a God of all of my emotions, and I can trust in you. Amen. So our emotions, we're emotion. We're emotion, emotional people. And, and God understands that and recognizes that. But life is filled with ups and downs and difficulties and circumstances in life that you're not going to make it if you only rely on your emotions. There's got to be something else that anchors you, that, that establishes you. My identity is not connected to my emotions. If it were, I'd be all over the place. Amen. But in times of great emotion, when I don't have answers, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I know I can turn to the word of God. And I know the word of God will be an anchor to me in the midst of all of that. I may not feel a thing. I may feel nothing. But I know the word of God is steadfast. And that I can trust in that. And even when I don't feel it, I know it's right. And so I'm going to hang on to the word of God. And I'm going to anchor to the chief cornerstone. Amen. When winds come and difficulties come and storms come, I'm going to hang on to the anchor that holds. What is it? It's Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. He was rejected by the builders and set aside. But we have established our life on the chief cornerstone. And I'm standing on that. And so our life has to be anchored in teaching and doctrine. Amen. It is a comprehensive way of getting at the truth. The word I've already mentioned means teaching, and it refers to those beliefs specific to individuals and congregations in particular. Doctrine is where we establish a lot of things. Where do we establish the nature of God? The very verse that was read here at the opening of this service tonight was God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So the nature of God is a great discussion. How are we going to establish a teaching about who God is, the nature of God, Christology? How does Jesus Christ fit into Christology, the study of Christ, and how that integrates into the rest of the scripture? How are we going to do that comprehensively? We're going to do that by establishing a doctrine or a teaching that comes from not my opinion, not what I think, 
Not what somebody else thinks, but I'm going to try to derive that from the Word of God. We cannot, as a church, avoid teaching. And we must formulate a framework for understanding the basic rudiments and principles of faith. It starts in Sunday school ministry. What we're trying to do at an early age is to develop. I'm sorry, God distracted. <laughs> Nothing like opening the back doors, coming in, and falling flat on your face. But it's okay. It's okay. It's just, it's hard to ignore when it's right in front of you there. <laughs> See, all right? <laughs> Praise God. You have to, we do that from an early age in Sunday school to develop some kind of framework. How blessed are we that at an early age we're able to present at least some kind of connections to the scripture and truth. You'll know what's so exciting about T-Rocket ministry is those children coming, and I'll be really, really glad when we can get back to T-Rocket ministry. Those children that are coming, some of the only truth that they are ever going to see is when they come into this sanctuary and they go up into that children's ministry and they learn about some things. And so from a very early age, we try to comprehensively give some kind of material or evidence. I was having a great conversation with a young man just recently about how is it that you prepare yourself to be inspired by God and motivated by God? Is it something that you learn? How, how was it in your experience? And we had a great discussion. A lot of what I learned trying to learn about God didn't, didn't give me immediate results. It came later. It came came later. It's like what you put in is what eventually comes out. So if you're not putting anything in, then there's going to be no inspiration that comes out or very little inspiration that comes out. But if you're putting a lot of stuff in, then there's a lot that comes out. So if you're doing it on an educational level, you're putting all of that stuff in, but you don't know when the results of that are going to come back out. And so that's one way of doing it. If you're going to go to school and you're going to study and you're going to do all this, but your personal development, the time that you spend in reading, the amount of material that you learned in children's ministry and youth ministry, Bible studies, things like this. What you put in becomes the inspiration that comes out. This is why doctrine is important. Teaching is important. The scripture is important. Reading the word of God is important. Prayer is important. Don't expect anything to come out of the reservoir if there's nothing running into the reservoir. There's not going to be any inspiration because there's not enough, there's not enough evidence there. But if you start, if you start, man, young ministers, listen, listen to me. If you start putting stuff in, putting stuff in, it may not be, pastor's not asking me to speak, not asking me to do this and do that, but I'm putting stuff in. They're not asking me to do devotion. They're not asking me to teach a Sunday school class, but I'm putting stuff in, putting stuff in, putting stuff in. At some point, because of everything that you're putting in, when it starts to come out, people are going to step back and say, wow, that was inspiring. That was incredible. Where did that come from? Where it came from is people over a course of time saying, I'm going to invest in this teaching and in this doctrine and this framework of what my life is. And it comes out. It's the foundation. It's the source book. It's the authority for developing strength. And where does all of that come from? It comes from the scripture. Doctrine comes from the scripture. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen. What's the next verse? That the man of God, that the woman of God may be perfect. That means complete. Doesn't mean you're, you're, you're in a state of perfection. That means you're complete. You got the ability. You got, you've put enough in that there's enough coming out that you can establish some things that you are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. What we put in comes out. And so the doctrine and the teaching is what becomes important from the scripture. Amen. There's a, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions. And social media has produced all kinds of voices saying all kinds of stuff. But at some point, you're going to have to determine what validates something. What's going to validate? Where are the truth claims coming from? Well, I'm going to grab a piece of philosophy from here and from over here. And I'm going to grab this and my own personal experience for all this. And then I'm going to put it in a big old smorgasbord of stuff, stir it all up. And that's going to be my meaning because I don't want anyone telling me what to do or not to do. Well, that's fine if you want to live that way, but I'm telling you that's an inadequate way. And I'm telling you a more adequate way is to go back to the apostles' doctrine and say this is what produced revival. This is what turned the world upside down. This is what captivated the known world when people started feeling the power of God and the anointing of God. And thank God we have opportunity to participate in the same thing. Amen. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord. So, so I don't understand why there's so many different churches and opinions and this and that. And everybody's got... Why? Why? Well, let me just... The first thing I would say to that is... You can't put forth anything without there being a variety of a lot of people saying different things about it. You put forth an original document, there are going to be people that have varying opinions about what the doc document, document means. And this illustration, I think, <laughs> coalesces all of that thought. It's called the heretic. It's, 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 it's a funny illustration. I was walking in San Francisco along the Golden Gate Bridge when I saw a man about to jump. And I tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. And a tear came to his eye. I then asked him, are you a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu? What, what are you? And he said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too. Small world. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. <laughs> what denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, well, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? He said, Northern conservative Baptist. I said, well, that's amazing. Northern conservative fundamental Baptist or Northern conservative reformed Baptist? He said, Northern conservative fundamental Baptist. I said, remarkable. Northern conservative fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern conservative fundamental Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern conservative fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, a miracle. Northern conservative fundamental Baptist Great Lake region council of 1879 or North conservative fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1912. He said, Northern conservative fundamentals Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1912. I said, die heretic and push them over the rail. 
money. You had all these things in common, except for the years of the councils. And then it was over. Man, there can be a lot of varying opinions. So where are you going to go to establish teaching and doctrine? The best place to go is back to the original early church and say, whatever they were doing, I want to do. <laughs> if, if the Holy Ghost spilled out of an upper room and went into the streets and people were saying, what in the world is going on? I want the same experience that was found in that upper room when Peter said, these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is the Holy Ghost. This is the refreshing. This is the anointing of God. Amen. If 3,000 people followed the gospel message and they were baptized in Jesus' name, this is what I desire and this is what I want. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. If there was power and anointing and healing that happened, there was a move of God in the early church, we should not say that's other time frame. I've heard that. I've heard that. Well, that was for then. It's not for now. Wait a minute. You've come too late to tell me it's not for now because I've experienced even in this service here, I felt the Holy Ghost in this place and the anointing of God as God ministered in this house. Whatever happened there, it should be good enough for us today. If God brings healing and anointing and salvation, it's still good enough for me and you. Every Christian must have a basic understanding of Christian doctrine in order to have an answer. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Every, every person that... Be ready to give an answer to every person of God's hope with meekness and with fear. So my first point here tonight is that Jesus established a doctrinal direction that was delivered by the apostles, all of his teaching. We can go back and look at a lot of Jesus' teaching. He said repentance and remission of sins begins in Jerusalem. He told them to go to Jerusalem. When they got to Jerusalem, what did they do? They, they preached repentance. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He sent them to Jerusalem. When they were in Jerusalem, they were baptized in Jesus' name. He said, go therefore into all the earth, baptizing in the name, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What is the name of the Father? Jesus said, I'm coming in my Father's name. So the name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus because Jesus is Jesus. Jesus told them, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to you, but I can't send it to you until I ascend. So I'm sending it to you in my name. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. This is why Paul said, in him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's all in him. It's all in him. It's all in him. That's why we're baptized in his great name. Amen. Praise God. So Jesus spent much time and effort in one particular case, he breathed on them in a foreshadowing of what was going to happen in Jerusalem, the Holy Ghost coming like a wind. So he spent time 
preparing them for the inauguration of the church, which he died for. Then we see them rising to the challenge and presenting the same doctrinal teaching that he delivered to them. Even to the point of death, they said, we're not careful in how we answer you. We have to obey God and not men. If this means persecution, then we'll be persecuted. But we, we have a message to preach and to teach. Not only was that significant in the early church and the apostles in their doctrine and their teaching, but also when you get to the epistles, some of the younger men, young ministers in the faith that we read about in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, that were to go and be established in some places, what was going to anchor them? How are they going to, how are they going to establish a church? The early church spread rapidly, and if, if you're aware of this, the, the attendance of, of most churches in the early church were about 30 to 40 because they were home churches. They didn't, they didn't have buildings, church buildings. They would gather in synagogues, but synagogues were not necessarily churches, and so they would establish small churches in the homes of people that had the wherewithal and the means to host churches. So if you were to go build a church somewhere, like Timothy or like Titus, What's going to what's going to anchor and pull people together? That's that's going to produce a church. First Timothy chapter four and verse number twelve. We have some examples. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance to. Here we go. This this what you put in is what you get out. If you want something to go in, Paul was saying to Timothy this. This is how you do that. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. You've got to put those things in. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Here we go. Take heed unto thyself and unto what? And unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save yourself and them that hear thee. Timothy, how are you going to establish a church? You've got to give attendance to the teaching and the doctrine, the reading, the exhortation, and, and the touch of God that is upon your life. Continue in them. Don't walk away from them. Don't abandon them. Don't change them up. Don't water them down. Amen. But go into that atmosphere and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Timothy, don't expect that everybody's just going to line up. Some of them are going to say, I'm going to just go do my own thing. But Timothy, you stay in sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. They may not endure sound doctrine, but you have to continue preaching sound doctrine. Amen. This is what's going to save you. He told him also in Titus, uh, Titus, another young man in the faith, in chapter 1, verse 8, be a lover of hospitality, of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince 
the gainsayers. Titus, you're going to do a good job on the island of Crete. This is where Titus was commissioned on the island of Crete. Very interesting culture and, 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 and very much opposed to Titus' message. Titus, you go preach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Doctrine is not to be influenced by how you feel or the environment that you are in. <laughs> it, it may not be popular at times. We're, we're getting to the place where some things that are preached has now become hate speech. It's not popular. And I think we have to do a good job of presenting the gospel in a right manner, in a right way. You can preach the right thing with the wrong tone. And you'll turn off people just because of your tone. So we have to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. But we can't back away from what the scripture is giving to us as solid sound doctrine. Just because the world around us is saying we're going a different direction doesn't mean that we jettison everything that has become sound doctrine and the word of God and say, well, we're just going to adjust that. Because if you start doing that, the word of God means nothing. You can carve it up and do whatever you want. You can make it stand on its hind legs and do a dance. You can do with it what you want. That, that was never the intention of the word of God. I've got to fall on the word of God so that the word of God doesn't fall on me and crush me. I want to fall on the word of God so that it forms me and shapes me. And it identifies who I am. My identity is not tied to current culture. My identity is not tied to my own emotions and the things that run through my head. And what's going on? My identity is connected to and tied to the word of God. Amen. And this is what I have to be anchored to. It's the old thermometer or thermostat illustration. This is an old, old one, but it's a good one. You're either a thermometer or you're a thermostat. A thermometer is just going to dictate what the temperature is. Have you ever met people like that? Depends on who they're with. Yeah? I hear a little bit of rumbling out there. Depends on who, who they're with, what they say, how they act. They're a thermometer. They're up and down based on the current climate. A thermostat is something that you, you set the temperature. You say, I'm, 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 I'm not, we need some thermostats. <laughs> I'm going to set the temperature for worship. I'm going to set the temperature for prayer. I'm not going to be a thermometer waiting on what happens and then I'll join in. No, I'm going to rise to the occasion. Amen. And have opportunity to establish some things. Titus is in a, an interesting place, and in chapter 2 and verse number 1, when Paul describes all of them, Cretans are liars, and he, he describes their whole personality and, and, and where Titus is, he said, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. To do what? That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patient. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors, becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that is he that is of the contrary part 
may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Titus, people are going to respect you even if they don't believe what you believe. If you stay true to what you believe and you keep preaching it and you keep teaching it, you're going to find that people want to gravitate towards somebody that's real, authentic. They're not changing with the times. They're not walking away from some things, but there is a consistency. There's an establishment. Your life is speaking in testimony about something that they may desire and want in their own life. Praise God. We have an opportunity if we don't walk away from the teaching and the doctrine that has been established in the word of God. Amen. What's the reason for doctrine? Well, the church must give constant attention to it. Because if you don't have doctrine teaching, you, you end up eroding the identity of who you are. And God has established in the church, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11, he's established some offices in the church, some functionalities in the church to make sure that there is a good flow. If, if we stop teaching and preaching and we start entertaining, are we the church? No, we're not the church. We just become another entertainment source. That's not who we are. Who are we? We are people that want to be established, have an identity, have a direction. Some people that are critical of us say, you people say the same thing over and over. Why can't you get off on other things? That was that lady that put her hand on her hip and said, there's more to the Bible than Acts 2.38. Because apparently she felt like she heard 2.38 too much here. Well, if you stop, you unpack chapter 2 and verse 38, and you've basically covered the whole Bible. And that was a, that's a whole message, and it's a powerful one, right? You start looking at repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden all these streams come from the whole Scripture. But if we stop saying it, it's not in the minds of people, and the identity is not clear. There's not a clear signal or a clear sound. That's why you got to keep preaching the things that have established us to the point of where we are today. The early church needs a representation in the world. And I'm thankful that God has given us an opportunity to link up and join up with that representation. Amen. So it is preached. It is young, young people get up here to exhort. They, they reference it. Why? Because it's a cornerstone foundation. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11. All of these areas of ministry work in cohort to make sure that that's always in front of us. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting perfecting, not the perfection, the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we, now here's why you need doctrine, right here, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. I don't want to be tossed to and fro. This is why I need doctrine. I don't want to bounce up and bounce down. This is why I need strong teaching. I don't want to swing. Have you noticed that in any discussion, any discussion, it doesn't matter what it is, that, that it, it swings wildly to the poles, right? And so if, if something happens, there's a reaction, and the reaction swings wildly over here. And everybody's over here. And then all of a sudden, it swings wildly over to the other side. I suspect that the answer is somewhere in the middle that is balanced, that is consistent, that is faithful. This is what sound doctrine does and teaching does. It keeps me anchored. I'm not going way over there and I'm not going way over here. I'm centered. My life is centered and it's centered into his word. It's a great illustration about a young pastor and he was speaking to a faithful older preacher and he said you're just out of date said young pastor bait to one of our faithful old preachers who had carried for years in travail and tears the gospel to poor sinful creatures you still preach on Hades and shock cultured ladies with your barbarous doctrine of blood. You're so far behind, you will never catch up. You're a flat tire stuck in the mud. For some little while, a bit of a smile enlightened the old preacher's face. Being made the butt of ridicule's cut did not ruffle his sweetness and grace. Then he turned to young bait, so suave and sedate. Catch up, did my ears hear you say? Why, I couldn't succeed if I doubled my speed. My friend, I'm not going your way. The old preacher said, I, I, I'm still going a direction. And you're going a different direction. And that's okay if you want to go a different direction. Call me an old tire stuck in the mud. But I, I've anchored my life in sound doctrine and sound teaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct my life here. And I've seen people saved by a message of truth and a power of God and anointing of God. Are you thankful tonight in the house of God that there's an anchor that runs deep? There, there is the depth the depth, the depth of water that flows in this place is no accident, ladies and gentlemen. And I will stand in this pulpit to my dying day and I will fight because of individual saints of God, men and women that gave their blood, sweat, and tears and lives to see a move of God in this place. They literally gave their lives for it. I've got a stack in my, my uh, file cabinet of, of funeral services and you start flipping through there and you see what anchors us and what keeps us. It's not something that's fly by night. It's not something that just happens quickly or, or happens circumstance. It's, it's, it's not any of that situationally. It's because somebody said, I'm going to establish some doctrinal things in my life. Amen. I'm going to be consistent in that. I'm going to going to direct my life and attention to other people in that. Jude 3 says the faith that was once for all delivered as we stand together. That faith, praise God, is to be cherished, is to be believed, is to be defended, is to be protected. Amen.
parents are responsible for teaching their children and church ministry is responsible to teach the flock of God with faithfulness Romans chapter 6 and verse number 17 put that up there it's a powerful passage of scripture it says this I mean why do you need doctrine this this is it but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin but you have obeyed from the heart that form of philosophy which huh philosophy which was no that you have obeyed from the heart that form of of opinion which was delivered to you right is that it no that you were that from that form of doctrine which was delivered you what happened somebody preached the doctrine to you and you said you know what I need to change there's some things in my life I need to redirect and God called you out of the bondage of sin hallelujah he provided liberty to you he whom the son has set free is free indeed how did that message come it came by a doctrine it came from a teaching that was delivered unto you that saved you amen I looked up this passage of scripture from another translation for readability that follows that particular scripture right there verse 20 as long as you did what you felt like doing ignoring God you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter but do you call that a free life what did you get out of it nothing you're proud of now where did it get you a dead end but now that you found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise a whole healed put together life right now with more and more life on the way work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death but God's gift is real life eternal life delivered by Jesus our master I'm thankful for a message that was preached to me as a matter of fact I'm thankful for a message that was lived in front of me Paul said you're a testimony read of men did you know that there are individuals you may not be on a uh, soapbox somewhere talking about something that draws people but your life means something and that speaks and that teaches and that preaches and that testifies and because somebody took the time to present the gospel you're here amen look around you here tonight you're here I'm here why because there was a doctrine there was a teaching there was something that was delivered that saved if you're thankful for salvation in the house of God tonight why don't you lift your hands as they prepare to sing and why don't you thank God hallelujah for his direction for his anointing praise God while we were yet sinners he died for the ungodly praise God the gospel came to us through his death his burial and his resurrection Yeah.